Welcome to the Habibis, three Arabic game developers drinking good Arabic tea. I'm your host for this week, Osama Dorias. And I'm Fauzi Mesmar. And I'm Rami Ismail. And it's been a couple of weeks, folks. Did you for miss me? We missed you. We, we missed, missed you. you. Welcome back. Oh, I missed you too. We uh, tried all sorts of things. We I, tried I adding <laughs> We tried adding a laugh track that helped a little bit. We tried <laughs> We tried having a guest. I mean, the guest was great. But yeah. we also we also missed you anyway. I saw the title of the the first episode I missed, and it's it was just like Osama <laughs> laugh track, and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> uh, like it's perfect. Like I was so happy to be included, even when I wasn't there. And for those who don't know, I don't know how much how much you told people, but the reason I wasn't here is because um, we moved, we bought a house, and I had two weeks of downtime where. Uh, we were painting and cleaning and moving heavy boxes back and forth. So it was a lot of work. Uh, and I had no internet for a big portion of that time, except on my phone. But you can't really do a podcast on your phone, can you? I mean, you technically can, but also <laughs> you were moving. So yes. I like to just focus on that. <laughs> yeah, and we're moving like five people's worth of things. You know what's really funny? Um a big chunk of the boxes that we moved were packed from our last move 11 years ago and never oh wow yeah i opened a treasure trove of things like oh some of these you'd appreciate fauzi i Mm -hmm. opened some instruction manuals like you know those game guides oh yeah street fighter alpha 3 i think is one of the older ones that i wow Uh, no no i did have a super street fighter 2 one as well so like those have been in a box i forgot i had them like like as soon as Oh, I opened the box. I instantly remembered. But you know that the, the feeling where you just open something, you're like, "Oh yeah, I used to collect these." <laughs> <laughs> I love this stuff, man. You kind of uh, get lost in a moment uh, when you like remember the stuff that you used to watch, like you know, old magazines and stuff like that. It's kind of like your own personal museum. Yes. Uh, when you move, it unlocks all of these like older memories, and you just get lost in like looking at old stuff you used to own or uh, drawings and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'd go through the like uh, back back then. Depending on what age, I used to actually even write notes inside, uh, mm-hmm. and reading those, it's like you're talking to your old self again. It's uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. That's really cool. How far how far back does the stuff that you find go? Well, the, these instruction books were maybe from when I was twelve or thirteen. Wow! Some, like some of them are, uh, like, I think the older one, the Super Street Fighter two one. Maybe I was thirteen or fourteen actually, thirteen or fourteen. Well, so like 60 years ago or something. <laughs> like 150 years ago, right? <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. Man, 10, 10, I, I was barely born then, I think. Barely born. <laughs> barely born. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how old I would have been if Osama was 12. <laughs> well, I mean, what are you now? 16? I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm approximately 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. Math is hard. <laughs> so what did I miss? Um, I mean, in, in terms of, um, in terms of, let's see, in terms of games, I finally started playing some games again. I had like an entire list of stuff two episodes ago, I think. Oh, okay. Um, there was a game called Spookware that I can really, really recommend if you haven't played it. So, oh, Spookware, no? I have spookware. Not. It's like WarioWare, but spooky. Ooh. It's for PC. It's very good. I think that was my biggest thing the last two weeks. Fazi, what was your biggest thing? In the past couple of uh, weeks, I work mostly. <laughs> very, very Fair. busy with work and stuff. But like, you know, getting some time to play some games. I've uh, played a bunch of Psychonauts. We talked about that on the podcast. Right. We played 12 Minutes. We also talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, I, I heard your thoughts on 12 Minutes and they echo mine. The game that went from, oh my God, this is probably my game of the year to a little bit later, uh, never mind. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be here talking about this. I love this review. Uh, <laughs> this could be game of the year. Actually, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> There's one point. I'm sure you know what, which one I'm talking about. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah, no, it's not even making my top list anymore. <laughs> Valiant effort, good try. Yeah, it was it was a good attempt, and yes. you know, for a game that is so weird, it's it's cool that they tried. And yes, and it had a lot of good about it. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a lot of good. It just made a choice that made it really hard to recommend, and yeah. you know, sometimes <laughs> that happens. And okay. absolutely, you know, on the topic of spookware, kind of, um, I have a confession. 
I've never played a WarioWare game. I was actually really excited for the new WarioWare that's coming Ooh. out on Switch because I have never tried a WarioWare. I I'm a little I'm I've played it again. I I think I I talked a little bit about the demo that came out, but the um the weird thing is I think WarioWare really shines in that it is consistent input but very variable mechanics. So every mm-hmm. little mini game has completely different mechanics, and I think they're messing it up for the new one. Interesting, um, because they they have this thing where now you're playing from characters, and the characters have consistent mechanics. Just what you do with them is different per level. I see, mm-hmm. but that's actually not as interesting because kind of the joy of WarioWare was you get a thing and there's like a couple a of seconds of to figure it out. And an axe, and you have your four normal buttons, so hit every button, see what happens, and then do the thing that you think you have to do, and you figure that out in a few seconds. Oh, okay. Well, this one is, you get the level, you look at your character, you're like, okay, this character can do this and that. How do I use that to solve this puzzle? And it's just a different thing. So what you're saying is, when the new one comes out, in addition to playing the new one, I should also... Like dig up an old one and play that. Yes, absolutely. The, the Game Boy Advance one is probably my favorite, but there was a DS one that was also really, really good. The last uh, one that came out at the very end of the 3DS life was also pretty good. Was good. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Okay. It's just this one. They it, they're going a strange direction, and instead of that, I would just recommend you play Spookware. Yeah, WarioWare okay. Gold, I think it was called. Yeah, for the for the, for the uh, 3DS. 3DS. Yeah. Yep. Have Have you Osama, So have you ever played the Rhythm Heaven game? Rhythm Heaven, no, I have not. Rami, you played those games, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think also, like, if you're going to, you know, dust off uh, 3DS and play a Wario, uh, WarioWare game, you should also play a Rhythm Heaven. Okay. Uh, Looking at it right now. Rhythm Heaven uh, uh, Mega Mix on the 3DS is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there was a lot of good stuff on those games, on those yeah. devices, honestly. I miss yeah. Rhythm Heaven, man. Those games are so good. Wow, I've no, I've heard of it. I never yeah. played it. It's fu- it's funny. It's funny that this is the first moment in my life where I realized the aesthetics between WarioWare and Rhythm Heaven uh, um, are are not that. They're not that far apart in a way. No, like, no, I, I, bright rainbow colory stuff with like big bold characters. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. They're probably the same division of Nintendo, actually. Mm. Now uh, that you now that you mention yeah, it, it's yeah. very likely. Yeah. It's really interesting. Kind of is it like? I mean, uh, when you say rhythm heaven, I assume it's kind of gameplay similar to Elite Beat Agents, something like that. Mm, like a rhythm yeah. game, but you tap the screen. I don't know. I'm looking at screenshots and I can't tell what the gameplay is. It's a, like I think th- that's why I got reminded by it with WarioWare's because it is a rhythm game um, that has a lot of tiny levels in which like, you have to interact with it. To the rhythm, but every level is different, and you have to figure that out as well. Okay, that's all right. Cool. It's, it's I, like a it's like a bunch of uh, rhythm mini games. Yeah, I have homework. It's, it's funny because I I know the game is Rhythm Heaven, but I think that is because I always bought a lot of my games in Egypt. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently in Europe, it released as Rhythm Paradise. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Wait, so games in Egypt have more likely the American name? Yeah, because they're just fake import with like printed images on like they're not real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was they're, just curious if it followed more the North America or Europe. Uh, uh kind of whatever. Okay, yeah. I see. Free just whatever, whatever was easier to find and print. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. That makes sense. Okay, so yeah. it's, it's kind of like Chinatown rules, I guess, here. Yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. Like, just whatever, whatever worked, worked. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the Japanese name for it is Tengoku, which is literally uh, sky country, which could be a heaven or paradise. So okay. either work. Okay, that works. There's no rhythm in the name. <laughs> anyway, two it's, Game Boy. It's good. Two, Definitely check it out. Like yeah, uh, I can't recommend it enough. It was on my Game of the Year list when it came out. Uh, wow, Mega wow. Mix on the 3DS. Thank wow. you. I'm definitely. I, uh, I'm. I'm just happy that we're here at the Habibi Podcast. We give reviews for you know like recommendations <laughs> for 15 year old games. Like, <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> Mega Mix came out in 2016. 
So wait, it's really? Sixteen? Sixteen Mega Mix wow. on the three DS. Yeah, so it's five years no, it's old. Just five years, five years old. That's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. So it wouldn't go back into the eighties. Right, it's, it's, <laughs> it's bringing up our average. <laughs> it's like it's like fo- it's like fuzzy old instead of a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love exactly. it. Exactly. We're here to review your three. This is your 3DS podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the, ha- the Habibis 3DS. The Habibis yeah. 3D. <laughs> yeah, I remember boxing my 3DS. I don't remember unboxing it. I'm going to have to go through boxes to find it now. I think I have a box of 3DSs, actually, if I think about it. I might have like six of them. Wait, that, of that's 3DSs? Not, surprise me at all. not of DSs, but of 3DSs? 3DSs, yeah. Because I got the. Why do you need six? The ambassador, the first one that came out, the tiny 3DS, then the 3DS yes. XL, then yes. the, then I got the Japanese 3DS because it was uh, region locked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I got the new 3DS, which comes right. with the little knob thing. Yes. To yeah. play Monster Hunter. And then the um, uh, which the Zelda? Two- which Zelda was it? There's a Zelda that came out with the limited edition new 3DS. Right. Wow. Uh, Did you also get the 2DS? Uh, no, the 2DS. No. Oh. No, no, screw that. <laughs> yeah, I, I had two. Amazing. I had the 3DS and I had the 2DS when my kids wanted to play because if they drop it, it doesn't break. Because the ah, hinge on my 3DS, no yeah, mm-hmm. the hinge on my 3DS is loose and it's their fault. So, <laughs> you know, kids, uh-huh. yeah. So the 2DS was definitely the the one to skip if you don't have kids. But it's also the one to get if you have kids. Yeah. I remember the one I got was the Majora's Mask one because it came with the uh, with the Skull Kid uh, statue. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah. And also that was I couldn't find that on sale in Japan, so I remember ordering one in the UK and my friend actually shipping it to me. What was wow. What was your favorite DS game? DS or 3DS? It doesn't uh, matter. Just the entire DS family. Oof. What a question. <laughs> what a question. What a question. My favorite. Osama's back, so we're back to the hard-hitting. Like <laughs> mm, deep cut here. Favorite DS game. Yeah, it's hard. I have to actually A Link Between Worlds. Yeah, those are. Okay. Really... okay. A Link Between Worlds. It's a good one. It's a good one. What's mine? But there's so many, man. There's a, there's a lot. I there's think for me, lot. it was Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. I'm a huge Castlevania fan. Okay. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah. It's a good one as well. Oh, Ghost Trick was a DS game. Yeah, I have, mine is Ghost Trick. I love Ghost Trick. Ghost Trick is my is my favorite DS game. That's a wonderful game. Hey, well, it's you know, so good. Does it count that they re-released Chrono Trigger on the DS and it's one of my favorite games of all time? Or does uh, that count as a Super Nintendo I mean, is, is the DS version your favorite version of that game? No. No, then it doesn't count. Stop trying to cheat. Don't bring, don't bring Chrono Trigger into this. You can't just bring in all these very old things from before I was born into this conversation. Like, come on, let's... Well, that's like everything, Ravi. No. <laughs> Sam, you can't talk about Xbox 360 games, okay? That's before my time. All right, all we can talk about is Fortnite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Roblox. Yeah. You know, I, I the love... funny thing about that is kids are growing up like that now. They're playing yeah. Fortnite and Roblox. It's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, like my... my my three kids my son's favorite game is fortnite uh my daughter's favorite game is fortnite and my youngest daughter is roblox and right. my like the, my daughter who transitioned to fortnite her favorite game before that was roblox it's like there's there are three games now because you're either in that ecosystem or you're playing minecraft still that's right. that's their friends they're, I, mean, they're... I mean the thing that's interesting to me is that all these kids are growing up with these games that are built around creating yeah that's cool. I'm really curious what kind of game developers we're going to get out of this this generation of like five to ten year olds right now, or like five to fifteen year olds. Yeah, especially yeah. when it comes to Roblox, because Roblox actually has an infrastructure where you could create games that others play and actually monetize it. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you saw that article the other day about did. how that's exploitative. It is. I. I was really, really impressed by that 13-year-old kid sounding like a burnt-out 14-year-old indie developer in a smoky bar at GDC. He was like, you know, discoverability is really rough. And I'm just imagining some indie sitting next to there like, yeah, I hear you. And the kid's like, yeah, and they also take like 70% of our revenue. And the indie's just going like, what? Yeah. 70? I thought we got 70? Okay. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, as I, If I, as an indie dev, feel really bad about how somebody's being treated business-wise... That's bad news. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, my de- but, my brother learned that the hard way because my brother uh, was an indie game dev as well. He worked for a small company called Spearhead for a while, and then he started mm-hmm. his own thing where he tried to make Roblox games. And it, I mean, he finished the game and it was good, but didn't really make any money off of it. So yeah, yeah, went through that pipeline. Terry Kavanaugh tried. That was fun. Oh, yeah. uh, guy who did uh, v, 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 v and uh, Super Hexagon and uh, Dicey Dungeons. He just went and made a Roblox game just to see how the how the interface works and how the, the creation tools are. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Okay, it's, it's, it's a really good tool set, apparently. Uh, mm-hmm. I tried a bit with it. I, I didn't finish a game. I just played around and, okay, you can place objects, you can do this, you can add that. Uh, it's pretty clear that it's a pretty complete tool set, but I never got to the point where I, point where I actually like published something. But it, I'm just, you know, I grew up with like mods and like script files and stuff like that, and I think a lot of that turned me into the game developer I am today. Mm-hmm. Yes. So for me to see that kind of return, even if it's like a weird closed ecosystem, I'm into it. I was a little worried that everybody was growing up with like shiny devices where you didn't even know that things were being made. Yeah. Actually, the same thing for me. Uh, I I got my start in two ways, two separate ways. Um, one is I started making levels for whatever game had an editor built in. I made like mm-hmm. uh, StarCraft, Heroes of Man and Magic levels. I made Duke Nukem 3D levels, like anything that included an editor. And the other way is um, actually freelance kind of as a graphic web designer, which meant I learned Flash, which meant I could make little graphic wow. Flash mm-hmm. games. Are you me? <laughs> well, Action Script 2.0. So I'm older right. than you. I no, but I start, I started with 2.0 as well because oh, okay. it wasn't it was it was messier code, so it was easier to learn. Oh, for me, right. I was I was stubborn. I didn't want to learn 3.0 because I already knew 2.0. Why? Right. <laughs> why? Yeah, 3.0 else? was more was more object object oriented, I think, yeah. than 2.0. So for 2.0, you just slammed code into things and then it worked. And for 3.0, you had to think about structure, and yep. I didn't feel like that. So. <laughs> Uh, I stayed on 2.0 for a pretty long time. Me too. And I used this really bad program called Swift or Swish. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, like yeah. It. I know what you're talking about. Swift. Uh, uh, Swish? No, I think Swift. it was Swish. It was Swift. I think it was Swift. No, I think Swift is for Apple. That's new. Hold on. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Swish. Let me. Uh, we're, are we all just Googling this? Yeah, it's Swish. Yes. Swish. I found it. Swish. Okay. <laughs> yes, you're right. Orange weird logo. Yes. Uh, and yeah, it was like a bad. It was like a bad middle interface for Flash that actually was a little more accessible. So yes. I used I used Swish. I dabbled uh, in it. Times. Yeah, I dabbled in it as well. Yeah, but, no, I did. The, I, but I had pretty much the same the same route. Like, I mean, I, I'd already like programmed a little bit before then because my first encounter with game development was was code. But then. I uh, I also went. I I took like the um, the Age of Empires level editor or scenario yeah. builder yeah. starcraft and then kind of like things got out of hand from there yeah same while also doing web development on the site yeah wow that's really interesting mm-hmm. what about you fozy how'd you get started we uh me and a group of friends i think there was eight of us or nine of us we wanted to make a game boy advance game but just out of nowhere that was not that just at some point you were playing a game boy advance game you were like I want to make one. So, like, you know, the, the longer version of the story is that um, uh, there's a shop that opened up across the road. It was from my place in Amman. It was called Chrono Way. And I was like, Chrono Way? What is this place? Um, so I just went in. I was playing Chrono Cross a lot at that uh, point. And I went in and tried to, me- to meet the owner, who happens to be a very like-minded uh, dude, who with a group of friends started to this shop that sells uh, video games and rents anime and stuff like that. Nice. And then me and him, we started talking and he said that they w- really want to make a game. And uh, every all of us were playing Game Boy Advance a lot at the time. So we're like, let's make a Game Boy Advance game. So because we wanted wow. to make a small-ish game. It really came out of nowhere. It really That's came out cool. of nowhere. So we actually like, you know, wanted to go through the route. We asked for dev kits initially. And Nintendo were like, what? You guys play games <laughs> let alone make them they're like okay if you want dev kits you can pick them up from your nearest distribution center it's in london it will cost wow, i don't know right. a couple of thousand euros or something like that so we quickly thought about it like okay so that's not gonna happen since we right. barely have any money between us so we had uh, we had our commercial units we had like three or four commercial units and we just hacked them 
Yeah. We cracked wow. them and then we used the emulation. We were, we were doing, we built everything from scratch. Uh, C++. Wow, that is impressive. We were all studying programming and we wanted to make, of course, our first project was a, was an RPG. Oh, it was, I course. thought you were going to say an MMO, but no, 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 no. The, back then it was RPG. It, it was yeah, RPG. We wanted to make Chrono Trigger, but in Arabic. And obviously yes, right. Game, Game Boy Advance did not have any Arabic support. So we made a bitmap of the Arabic alphabet and we put mm. that in the thing. Eventually, like, you know, we we decided since we we're all working on this, we rented a shop. We were paying like 10 bucks each a month for this place we work every day till 11 p.m that was the rule is that uh, Mm -hmm. until 11 p.m no no gaming but after 11 we basically had four computers in that place on plastic chairs and stuff so that was effectively a lan so we're we're playing starcraft from 11 p.m till 6 a.m every day and when did (laughs) you sleep yeah, well, who needs sleep, man? When, uh, <laughs> he was, it sounds like he was 16. I like was 17 <laughs> at the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was my yeah. first game I made it when I was 17. So eventually wow. we were like, um, I was like in my second year of university. I studied computer science. So we were like, let's use this game as one of our, one of our, uh, one of the people from the team. Let's use it for their graduation project. They're about to graduate from university. So we went there in the class in the classroom. Everybody was there. There was a jury of uh, programming professors. We gave each of them a Game Boy Advance in their hand, <laughs> and and there was a game running. Like there was a JRPG running. You can walk around. You can talk to people in a in a village, and you can have a turn based combat. Wow, that's incredible. They had no idea what they're looking at, and they yeah. were like, "Why? Why is this so small? Why not on a big screen?" And some of them were like, you know, gaming is a waste of time. Why would you, why would you uh, want no. to make video games? You should make useful software like websites or database. Right. And um, that was pretty much, I think, one of the first, the first game to ever be made on a Nintendo console in the Middle East, for sure. Yeah. And one of the first games to be made in the Middle East, period. And right. um, they got a D plus. <laughs> wow. Barely passed. Barely wow. passed. Um, wow. But there was somebody in the audience that uh, that was attending and uh, turns out they knew somebody and they wrote an article about us in a newspaper. Wow. And uh, another dude got funding and wanted to start a company and they were looking for people who had any gaming background in 28 countries and they just found us. So they hired wow. all nine of us and they were like, you wow. train... 40 other people and you make me a pc game but that's like <laughs> that's wow. the next level <laughs> how, how, did, how did the other eight end up like uh, every, uh, did they stay in games did they spread they're all out in again? games they're all in wow. games so like wow. the the dude that i met in the shop um ended up going to japan that was his dream so me and him we also went to uh, to the japanese embassy and we organized japanese classes and we ended up studying japanese together uh, a wow. group of us he ended up moving to Japan, living there for nine years or something like that. Uh, now he came back to Jordan. He started his own gaming company. Nice. Another friend of mine started his own camp- uh, gaming company. Um, another friend of mine, Osama, he's in Sumo. Oh, wow. Sumo Digital. Yeah. Um, nice. It's yeah, a so a bunch of other story. I think uh, <laughs> Osama Hussein is his name. I think only three people are just oh, left the Oh, Osama Hussein. He, yeah. yeah. He, he spoke at your conference, Rami, didn't he? Game yeah, World? he did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah Osama, okay. Osama worked at Ubisoft for a while. He worked on like Rayman Legends and stuff like that. Wait, what was a story. He, where was he based out of when he did that? Morocco. He was in Casablanca. Oh my God. Yeah. He might be the guy. He most probably is. Wait, wait. I got a story <laughs> to tell you. I, he uh-huh. might be the guy. I didn't even realize it was the same guy because I met him, Osama Hussein when he spoke at uh Rami's conference okay so when I worked at Ubisoft Mm -hmm. I would sometimes get meeting invites like at 2 and 3 a.m like at times that don't make sense like like 5 a.m meeting invites and uh emails that weren't like meant for me clearly like they Uh were and uh, I dug dug in and I realized there was exactly one other Osama that worked at Ubisoft at the time and his name was (laughs) Osama Hussein and he was out of Morocco yeah like Casablanca, specifically. <laughs> That's right. This is the most Arab story ever. Yeah, but <laughs> there, were, there were two Osamas, and they couldn't figure out which one. So, yeah. <laughs> they just type Osama and autocompletes. They don't care. They press enter, <laughs> and they send the thing. How many Osamas can there be in this yeah. company, really? But that's the, the, the shocking part. When I met him uh, through Game Dev World, when we chatted a bit, 
I didn't like, and I'm like, oh, his name is also Osama Hussein. Both common names, like in the Middle East, they're not we that. We should have him on the show one time. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, I'll reach out. No, he's he's yeah. he's, good, he's good people. I'm actually wondering if he ever got invites that were meant for me. <laughs> or emails that are meant for me. <laughs> That's a question not, to ask. Uh, probably I'm not happened. staying up until 11 p.m. What is this nonsense? <laughs> probably happened. The funny part is that when uh, those guys initially asked me to join them on, on the game, they asked me to come in as a music composer. Right. Like I had the band and I was like playing a lot of live gigs in Jordan and stuff like that. So a lot of people actually at the time knew me for music. Music. So they asked me, like, why don't you join us and, you know, write the, write the music for the game? So I was writing the music, but also had to code it in. Like, my, the, the entire mm-hmm. game was three megabytes. So wow. my budget for music and sound effects, I had you know, 150, 200 kilobytes wow. <laughs> yep. for yep. everything. So, uh, you know, I was writing the music for the game, but it was also like they were, I kept on, like, uh, trying to, like, give ideas on, like, how to design the game or, like, how to make the levels and stuff like that. And they were like... <laughs> Why don't you also be our game designer? Since you like, right. <laughs> yeah, not not. Why don't you switch to game designer? No. Why don't you also game designer? Yeah, exactly. Well, like, yeah. You know, this is real indie. Like nine yeah. people who had the university and a job, and you know, making this game. Yeah. So yeah, so I wrote I wrote the music, and I also um, b- b- became the game designer, and Amazing. it's a, a title I've held since. Right. That's yeah. incredible. It's funny because one of my favorite people to work with in the industry in the uh, industry is uh, Yukio Kalio, who uh, did the music for Lift Trousers and for Nuclear Throne. Mm. And I actually got to know him as an independent developer mm-hmm. like years ago. But the music was always the very best thing about the games he was making. Oh, yeah. Oh. So at some point, other indies started hiring him just to do music. Wow. <laughs> They're like, well, you're, yeah, your games are fine, but your music is like... Really, really, really good. So can we hire you? And he's recently done like Fall Guys. Okay. Oh wow, oh, that's cool. So yeah, he's also had this tubes. incredible, incredible career. Yeah, he did. The, he didn't do Fall Guys alone. He did it with another guy. But um, yeah, Yukio, Yukio is phenomenal. I I like how sometimes people go into the industry thinking that they'll be one thing, yeah. mm-hmm. and then just over time it turns out that that's not really what they do. Yep. Yeah. Or what they love, and then it just kind of switches. So I actually worked with this uh, this guy uh, Ubisoft. Um, his nickname was Fluffy. Uh, really nice guy. He almost quit games because he went to level design school, and he consistently was either failing or nearly failing every class. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just was it was not clicking. He really wanted to be a level designer. He really wanted to be in the gaming industry, and he just wasn't doing well. Finally, he graduated by the skin of his teeth, and one of his teachers hired him. And like he was like, wait, what? He basically gave him a job interview. He's like, wait, what? I'm I'm struggling. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're struggling at that like the the, the level design craft part. But you're with one of the most technical level designers I've ever seen. You're creating like structure for and, and like little smart objects for other people to use on your on your team. He became one of the best technical level designers at Ubisoft. Like, and he didn't even know that was even mm-hmm. an option or a it's nice that the teacher didn't say that until he could scoop him up <laughs> right? i think the teacher was trying to encourage him throughout but he took it as teachers being teachers right um, you know right like, yeah yeah fine i'm pretty good at this spot but look at i'm failing you know like right you know i'm not doing well that kind of thing we, well it started out I, like i tried my hand at everything like at, mm-hmm. and especially when you're like indie you just have to do everything really so like yep. uh I was just music. I was doing a bit of scripting and programming. And, uh, and the other company afterwards, like we were making like a PC and a 360 game. I was doing uh, VFX and particle effects at some point. Yep. Oh, cool. I was, yep. uh, I was doing level design. I was collecting all the, you know, like I was the person that combined everything in the build. <laughs> so like I'll right. get the assets, I'll get the code and put things together. Uh, you know, I was doing like camera scripts, all sorts of stuff. Wow. Yep. I started with animation, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I, I I started from art as well, surprisingly. Oh, I did wow. programming, but then I, I because I did programming and I got pretty good at it, I went to art. But what did you do in animation, Osama? Well, actually, I started in, in 3D modeling briefly. I, I made mm-hmm. like, I was part of this uh, BBS art group. I don't know if you are old enough to remember what BBS is. IRC is the first thing I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we had an art group where we literally would zip up art pieces and send them through BBSs and they would travel across like North America. Um, and I 
picked up uh, 3D Studio Max, like one of the earlier versions. I think it was before Max. I think it was just called 3D Studio. Um, and I made like a car in, in 3D in, in that. And then I tra- started animating a bit. And I thought uh, that my that my passion was animation because I loved animations. I loved like Disney movies. I loved like Warner Brother animations from the past. Um, and I did a I did the the regular thing. I bought a book back then. There were there was this is pre YouTube, of course. So I couldn't learn it off YouTube. You buy a book, and sometimes you're lucky that the book came with a CD-ROM. And I learned, I made a bouncing ball, and I made a, a human walk cycle, and I realized that I was actually more interested in the movement, like the controlled part of the uh-huh. movement, than actually just making it move on screen. And that's when I shifted to uh, game design. Did you did you get to the to making the chess set? Uh, some or you skipped yes. that? And, uh, no, I, I made a chess set in in, in the three D modeling. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I made I made a I tried to make a knight, gave up and made a rook because <laughs> knight was too complicated. <laughs> the rook was much much easier. It had more symmetry. But I yeah, think like, I think the knight was always the fork in the road, and when somebody <laughs> decided if they want to be a three D modeler or not, was the yes. knight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> up until the night everything is like okay i can do this yeah okay it's a bit more complicated we can still manage it oh this no no not, not yep. for me yeah <laughs> bouncing ball it is yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and then you tried to bounce the ball like yeah yeah that's I'll, like for me that was like also not for me i loved it like i learned the the 12 uh what do you call it the 12 rules of animation yeah. uh, and now i understand it when i see uh, animators do like when I work with animators, they don't need to explain to me twice. You know, yeah. I get where they're coming from, I mean, but I would never be able to reproduce what they do at all. I think that's really the mark of a designer, though, right? Yeah. It's like you have to kind of understand all the elements that go into what you have as a tool set. Yeah. Yeah. And what you need as a tool set. And the more you know about every discipline in games, the better you'll do in that regard. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I, uh, I, I came from art. Uh, so I came from programming originally. Did a lot of programming, practiced some writing, went to art because I never had art for my games. Mm-hmm. So I just decided I wanted to learn to do art. And then I fell down an art hole for like five years or something. Did mm-hmm. 2D art, 3D art. Mm. Um, learned a lot of particles, shader, like very early shader stuff, or at least I, it felt early to me. Um, and then eventually, when I uh, when I was ready to register for my uh, for Games University, I had to choose between um, art or programming, and I actually enrolled for both. And the first time, I got accepted mm-hmm. for art, uh, but then some paperwork went wrong, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't go to any school wow. because of the paperwork issue. It was a government issue, uh, so I sp- I skipped a year and sold computers for a year. Uh, at a retail store, and then I applied again, and that time I only applied for programming, uh, programming or design, and then I got enrolled into both, and I picked design, and that's how I ended up on the path to Vlambeer, because that was the school with the guy that I started Vlambeer with, so mm-hmm. uh, lots of weird stuff. Yeah, cool. no, I don't know. It's 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 weird how when you look back, it all makes sense, and then you know, you try to see how that might extrapolate into the future. You're like, yeah, no idea. I like it that um, whenever you speak to anybody in the industry, I ask them, how did you end up in the gaming yeah. industry? Because like everybody right. wants to join, but then like it almost never happens in the straightforward way that they expect it to be. Everybody has a story about how they're like, well, I wanted to do this thing. And then somehow I ended up doing this other thing that led me to do this thing that I'm doing yes. right now. Well, that, everybody- that's from our, our time. Because like now, the, I, as I teach in university, and I know some of you teach as well, yeah. uh, now a lot of people are like, well, I've wanted to make games since I was a kid, and that was always available to me as an option. And I right. went to school, and I learned how when to do it, and I graduated. When, when, when yeah, I was really true. young, my first game was was Halo Reach. I'm like, yep, nope, I'm out. I'm out of this conversation. That's not, I don't. I don't. I don't want to accept that somebody who played Halo Reach as their first game is now old enough to be learning games. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now we're gonna get a whole bunch of my first game was Roblox or Fortnite. I, you know, I can live with that because it feels <laughs> like it. But like Halo Reach is one of those games that I like just strongly remember as like a twenties, like when I was in my twenties. <laughs> yeah. Game. Getting old is mostly just a lot of existential crises, isn't it? I mentioned Bioshock in a class full of game design hopefuls, and only a handful knew what I was talking about. That's the, the, that's different. 
Right. <laughs> it, it hits different. Yeah, it, it does. You, you, it hits you in the gut. And you're like, two or three knew about it. One had played it. That's it. <laughs> well, who plays, who plays retro games? Yeah, we, we do, apparently. <laughs> so, so it's funny that you said that you learned art because you needed art for your games. Actually, when I made Flash games, I also picked up pixel art. I'm actually going right. to share a link from the Wayback Machine because my blog doesn't exist anymore. But those are um, Street Fighter characters I made in one of my favorite pixel artist style. Um, it's not excellent. It's not great, but you know, I dabbled. It's pretty in it. good to some. We'll put you. this. We'll put this in the show notes. We'll yeah. Put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my. That was my old blog. What was it about? About Street Fighter? No, it was just it was it was mostly about just me and what I did, but that made it mostly about video games and comic books. Yeah, you had a 2010 WordPress. Yeah, I did. Wild. Yeah, I, I think my WordPress actually predates 2010. It was older than that. Like I think I, up, I believe it a couple of times. Yeah, Incredible. I told you I was into this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's just you know I I had like a what was it like a. I like a free domain at a .tk. Like, oh yeah, I've had GeoCities. I've had like name it. I've had, <laughs> yeah, like I've tried everything. What was it? Blogspot was one of them. Uh, like, oh, yeah, I had a Blogspot as well. Yeah, yeah I've had I, when I books. when I started I'll, getting more visible, I just wiped all of it. Yeah, I I and I I should too because like um, a lot of the articles there, I, I would be embarrassed to for people to read. Right. You know, it was a different time. I was younger and a lot less mature. So I'm sure the same for you as well. Um, so yeah, we, you know, I think that's normal. <laughs> I'm right. very happy that a lot of these services don't exist. Just in case, like I forgot to remove any of these old websites. Um, they yeah. just uh, they took care of themselves. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a really weird thing about today, isn't it? That everything yeah. gets saved forever. Yeah, I yeah, think right? I think the kids are smart. You know that all the kids switch to like Snapchat and like Stories and stuff like that, where it's like it's there for a day and then it's gone. Yes. Yeah. Kids are smarter. We we were tricked into this in this into this version of the reality where everything I said back in 2010 <laughs> is still on the internet in like an index searchable state. Yeah, it, I think there was like one time uh, an interview with Will Smith, and I think he was like you know talking about how his I think his son posted some like dumb stuff on the internet, right. and he was saying like you know when I was a kid I was dumb too, but I was dumb in private. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I feel like we we kind of like our childhood. We were luckily had that option, but like you know, some of the people right now, good luck. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, we, I... we videotaped ourselves doing stupid things at some point, but then only we saw it. That's the, that's yeah. the big difference. Also, right? it's on VHS. Good luck finding one now. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or a VCR. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I mean my generation because I guess I'm a little younger than you guys uh mine was more of like okay everything goes on block spot everybody has a blog right and then twitter facebook stuff like that so uh, there was like a local community site for my city yeah with a forum and i had to go back and go in and just delete the entire account there as well because it's like well i don't really need people to know that much about me i never considered (laughs) that people would care about any part of my life yeah we want to know Here's the thing, Rami, like, you know, you know, this, there's this feature on Facebook that every now and then tells you, 10 years ago, you said this. Right. And I look at it, I go like, oh, boy, I actually, oh boy. I actually said that. Why was I saying something this ridiculous? Yep. Yeah. I had two strong opinions about video games in the past uh, or <laughs> comics or whatever. I used to get angry, like, uh, you know, when, whenever things didn't go my way, whenever a character was announced that I didn't want or things like that. Th- th- that's the stuff I'm really embarrassed about. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't get much worse than that, thankfully. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I, it's uh, the, the other thing, like the thing that I saw from the other day, is that even uh, uh, ten years ago, I still defended Skyward Sword. So, like, you know, so, <laughs> so, everybody has embarrassing opinions. Everybody <laughs> has embarrassing opinions. Just this stuff. Which, which reminds me, if we were playing that uh, the, the cheating game that Osama did earlier with his Chrono Trigger answer, <laughs> I, I could have easily have said Ocarina of Time on the 3DS. Oh, I'm so relieved. I thought you were going to say Skyward Sword again. <laughs> there's, there's no Skyward Sword in the 3DS. If you add the Switch to this, 
Listen, Fauzi, <laughs> if you told me that you had ported Skyward Sword to the 3DS through some hacker emulation stuff, I'd be like, that sounds like Fauzi. Hell yeah, I believe you. And it runs in Arabic too. Oh man, that, 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 uh, that wasn't a smart idea at all. Like, that bitmap no. was taking so much, uh, so much of the size. Also, that game was way too big for uh, our ambitions and our experience. Yeah. I mean, so you learned I, about scoping I, early. Good. Oh, super <laughs> early. Like, we completely, yeah. completely overestimated our abilities and underestimated estimated the, the the scope of the project yeah did it did it ever tell you the story of how flambeer like started from a really bad project no tell me so i wasn't i was in uni right and um first year was awesome first year of game design university was awesome because i had learned how to program i'd learned how to design i could write i could do art but i, I wasn't particularly good at anything but programming mm-hmm. right and the school kind of forced me to like face that, mm-hmm. right? I got art class, I got uh, design class, I got interaction design, which is not in games, but sort of interaction in general. I got taught a lot of models and like interesting ways of thinking about things. So uh, it was really useful. And then in the second year, they kind of didn't know where to go from there. So they kind of just did the same thing again. But by then it was boring because every time you teach me a subject, I read all about it. I find the books, I, I research it, I... Uh, want to know all about it. And then when I've learned all of it, I get bored by it, right? So my second year was the same thing. And I got bored. So I started a project and I said, you know what? We're going to make an Xbox Live Arcade game. Mm-hmm. So I got a team together. Uh, first of the people I trust most, and then of the people that I thought I would need to make a 3D Xbox Live Arcade game. And I ended up with a team of 24 people. Wow. That's, and it was 24. big team. Yeah, it was twenty four of the best people at that school. Not just in my year, but also in the year under me, the year above me, and the year above that. And let me say with confidence that that project would have never succeeded. But that said, we did get in on Xbox Live Arcade. We got the game greenlit. We got like everything ready, and we were just developing the game. And that you know, getting a game greenlit on Xbox Live Arcade back in those days was kind of a big deal for students. Yeah, it is big. Deal. So. We were, we were just kind of plugging away at that, and we were never going to make it. We were absolutely never going to make it. But the thing that happened was school shut it down because they needed those students, especially in the third and fourth year, to work on projects that school was getting from external people, mm-hmm. from external companies. And that's how school kind of placed their students in, in companies was by having their students work on external companies, making those companies think like, oh, okay, these students are good and they're already in the company, so we'll give them a job, right? So that's kind of how school worked, how the university worked. So third and fourth years, we're doing internships or working for external partners. And I took all the best students and put them on my project. Hmm. So school was like, yeah, no, the project is over. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yep, you signed your rights away when you joined the university. So we're just going to shut it down now. It's too risky. Hmm. And that's when I went, well, you know what? I, I don't I don't need this. So I had promised my team that I was going to do whatever I could to get the game out there. And I couldn't do that within school, so I quit. And then there was one other guy on that team who quit as well. Um, and that was that was JW. That was my co-founder. <laughs> oh, okay. Ah, oh, crazy. I had, I had learned to respect him about six months earlier <laughs> when he had shown me a game called "If You Really Want It, You Can Fly." It was one of those trick games. And it was just really well done. Like he really read what everybody's response was going to be and in what order and how you could escalate the joke. And it was just incredibly well done, even though it wasn't really a game and more of a gag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the first time I looked at this annoying, obnoxious little art hipster and went like, oh, okay. Kid, kid knows what he's talking about. Um, and he thought of me as like an obnoxious, annoying suit that only cared about money because I was doing <laughs> commercial games. So... Um, <laughs> The only reason we ended up working together is because we both hated school more than we hated each other. That's, that's how it worked out. A match made in heaven. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, well, but it, you it was a very unique. Other, yeah, it was a very yeah, yeah. unique collaboration. I think. I think the thing I like the thing I like a lot is if I look at JW now, you can see how much he has learned from the things I did, and if you look at me now, you can see how much I've learned from the things JW did. I think we both became much better people for having worked together. Obviously, I can't speak for JW, so maybe he just thinks he became far worse as a person for being around me. um, I definitely think that it was was interesting to work this closely with somebody that is that different in almost every way than I am. 
Like our 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 partners for me and ex partner um, uh, once decided to take us on a double date to the cinema, and then did that thing where they forced us to sit next to each other to see if we could be friends, and we ended up fighting our way out of the cinema effectively, like big argument about whether the movie was bad. <laughs> And I think that's the last time they ever tried to do that. Uh, just we were we were so different as people, but it was really cool to work together. Um, I'm very ready to not do that again, though. <laughs> like I've tried that. I think there's absolute value in working with people that are completely different from you. I I kind of want to work for the future. I want to work with people where I'm more aligned. Um, because I think there's there is tremendous potential in collision, like mm-hmm. creative collision. Mm-hmm. But I've never tried what happens if you do creative alignment. Mm-hmm. I just kind of want to try. Well, you yeah, know, like it's it's ahead. it's science at this point. You know, yeah. diverse teams. Teams are just different. Mm-hmm. You know, that come from different backgrounds that are different from each other, perform better. Yeah. Yep. It's it's science. You know, like um, yeah. they just do better. But uh, there's also across the board. Um, every time performance was measured. The more diverse the team was, the more they were, you know, different. They came from different backgrounds. They were creatively different. All of that stuff. Um, they just performed better. Right. I just, I just have a firm belief that there must be something between polar opposites and diverse. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there, there must be somewhere in between. <laughs> I don't know I, if I you guys were complete polar opposites as well. You we literally <laughs> had, we literally had two things in common. We believed in the games we were making, and we liked bad sci-fi. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty. That's that was a lot. it. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of ten years of effectively marriage, that's not a lot. <laughs> People get married with less things in common. <laughs> so I think. I think what's important is like yeah, div- diversity in your teams, absolutely. But I think what's important is shared values. Um, I think right. if, if you have different values as people, uh, the struggle of what to create is going to like it's going to hold you back because the arguments aren't going to be about how to do things, but it's going to be forever about should you do things or what what is it that you want to do together. Um, yeah. So I think there there is that middle path. It's not in um, in like ethnic backgrounds or like you know life experiences so much as it is in. Um, people who believe the same things, like you know, who have the same values. Does that make yeah, sense? there needs to be there needs to be enough of an overlap that people can communicate with each other. Is exactly. what you're trying to say. Exactly. And I think what happened with me and JW was the opposite. We had no way to communicate with each other because we just hated each other's guts. <laughs> but then we were forced to sit in a room together and make things, and we realized that the things we tried to make were similar. Hmm. So. I think that's what happened. We just learned to talk. But it took like two or three years before we learned to talk. And the only reason we could afford to do that is because we had no expenses. Hmm. Right? Like we were two students. So I think you're the only indie devs I've ever heard who are open about not liking each other and yet stayed together for years and years. I think you're unique in that way. <laughs> I think it was really important because I think back then, like Flamber was always a statement studio. And I think back then, the thing I realized is that every indie dev I knew was homogenous. You know, they were just the same people. Yeah. Just people that agreed with each other, that liked each other, that were hanging out with each other, doing the same thing. And I always felt that there was value in having opposite viewpoints. So... Mm-hmm. um I was always very open about that because I I felt it fit the story that I wanted to tell of like different people working together. Um, so I might have been a little aggressive in telling that story. It's not like we <laughs> hated each other, but but you worked you know, together for ten years. Mm-hmm. For ten years. So that's uh, that's two more than the Beatles. <laughs> right, right, fair. <laughs> to be honest, it was funny because near the end we were barely talking. Wow. Like while we were making Nuclear Throne, we had like a, a weekly or like obviously I got the new build and I did my part and he did his part. And, you know, I would watch the stream if he was streaming. And, the, you know, that was that was kind of it because mm-hmm. I trusted him to do what he did best. And he trusted me to take whatever was broken and fix it. Mm-hmm. And I would upload the build and deal with all the community and marketing stuff and the business side of things. So I was doing like code cleanup. Mm-hmm. and like uh testing and then every now and then when i saw something in the design or a direction in a in a thing he would drawn in the Dropbox or something i didn't like it i would call him and be like yo this ain't this ain't it <laughs> i don't think that's gonna work and if he saw something that i fixed in code and he's like yo that's not what i meant he would call me and be like that's not what i meant mm-hmm. but beyond that we weren't talking anymore 
there was no reason for us to talk. I trusted him. He trusted me. And we just kind of did our own thing on that project. That's so it's actually is. incredible that it came out as coherent as it did. And I think a large part of that was just good responsibility setting, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was clear what he did and what I did. But yeah, the, I think the biggest collaboration we ever had was probably on Lift Trousers. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous Fishing, me and JW didn't work much together either. Because JW was working with Zach, and I was mostly working with like integration. Um, and then on Super Crate Box, we worked together very closely. On Serious Sam, we worked together very closely, and then on Lift Trousers, we worked together very closely. And that was that was about it. Well, man, that's uh, it's it's amazing for me to hear that. Like, it, yeah, it, it's great that those games, like those games, really turned out great. But like. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have uh, known that uh, they had like such an um, interesting um, character dynamic going on in the background. Right. It yeah. was always very odd. Like it was always we would only talk to each other if we really disagreed about something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> for me, like my my indie years were like amongst the best years of my life. We all got along super super well. Right. Like we were that spending nice. over twelve hours a day together every day. You know, for like seven days a week. Because we were like, if we're not making the games, we're playing games together. We're playing so much StarCraft. We're playing so much Street Fighter. And later we, on, we're playing so much Dota and Call of Duty and Battlefield. It was, <laughs> it was, it was nuts. Like you know, I was hanging out with these guys the entire time. We we're super close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was not that. <laughs> um, we one of, one of the best expenses Valambi ever had was a six meter or ten meter, I think, three point five millimeter audio cable. <laughs> Because we had a Logitech speaker set that we bought for like thirty dollars somewhere, and um, it had um, it had an audio cable. And the way we set it up is JW controlled what music played, and then the audio cable went to me where there was a volume uh, wheel, and then that went to the speakers. So mm-hmm. JW could choose the music, and I could set the volume. <laughs> <laughs> That's and that was it. That was it, because I never agreed to what JW was listening to. Like, it was always some French screaming music. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, I appreciate that you appreciate this, but I need to program, so I can't. I can't. And then the funny thing is, the, the funny thing about JW that he was always good at, it's like the music would, like, 30% of the music he listened to would be the next big thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then five years, like, you know, like five months later, I'd be listening to the music unironically. <laughs> um, I'd be like, "Well, you can put that back in the playlist." And then I liked it, so it wasn't cool for him anymore. So he would try and find something new. <laughs> He's like, Our oh, entire God. dynamic was this nonsense. It was all this nonsense all the time. Huh. My my indie experience, because uh, I you know I worked at a small indie studio for a year uh, at one point. Uh, the team got along really, really well. Like, really, we loved each other. We we were friends outside of work as well. We were about um, you know twelve to twenty people, depending on at what point. We didn't get along with a certain member of management, but that actually brought us closer together. It was like common enemy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So that was mostly the experience on big projects. And I'm sure you could collaborate that, uh, Fozzy. It's impossible for everyone to get along. It just, it is too many people. Like, how are you going to find hundreds of like minded people? So you're always going to have the people that you get along with more and the people that you get along with less. I've been blessed. Generally, I, I've loved the, the people I've worked with closely uh, over over the years. But, uh, you know, the, there's, there's always going to be the exceptions. That's normal. Uh, that's why it's it's your, your situation is so interesting, Rami, because you're exactly two people. You can choose to work with anyone you want. And you stuck around for 10 years. Like, it's different when it's 20 people and there's, you know, a couple that you right. don't like. Or it's just 300 people and there's 100 you don't like. Those are different dynamics, right? I think I think the thing is that around that core group of two, we collected so many great people that yeah. like both of us, which I still believe is not possible. But yeah. you know, like it, okay. But we had Paul Veer who did our art, and we had Yukio, and we had Eric Surka, and we had Jonas Turner, and we had Fred Wood, and we had like this this team of people that would hop on board for projects. And working with them was a delight. Yeah, <laughs> just an absolute delight. Uh, and then I would have to talk to GW and it would be like, okay, so this needs to happen. <laughs> but you get along yeah. now though, right? No, we don't. Still, wow. No, like the, the the point is we don't get along. It's not that we were we didn't get along creatively. That's the only time we got along Okay. was creatively. I think we get along less now than we did before. Wow. Because <laughs> we don't have anything in common anymore. 
Like the only thing we have in common is that Flamber is in our past and that we we are proud of what we did those years, but we have nothing left to talk about. I catch up every now and then and ask how things are with, you know, the, the people dear to him. And he asked me how things are with people dear to me. And then we just kind of go like, okay, cool. That's enough. That's good. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> uh, it's nice. It's, it's honestly nice. Like it's funny to have a person that you don't really have anything to talk to have to have them have been such a big part of your life. Because mm-hmm. I hope I hope the best for him, right? Like I hope that all the things he does go really well. And his new Kickstarter, uh, Dust Biters, just completed with like four hundred percent or something. Wow! Uh, and I saw that card game when it was like, like scribblings on paper, mm-hmm. and now seeing like the fully polished, beautiful version of it is incredible. And he's obviously done Disc Room since Flambeer broke uh, yep. broke up, and he done Minute since Flambeer broke up. So he's still doing incredible work and it's a delight to see the games that he's working on it's a delight to see how they're different from Flamber games because uh, you know it, it reminds me of what my part of that studio was mm-hmm. but they're still very good like he's an incredibly good designer uh, so it's fun to now be able to watch those games and play that kind of work without having to deal with him yep you should have him oh. on, uh, on the podcast at some point absolutely I... not <laughs> <laughs> I've never met him. I'm like I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him someday. He's he's wonderful. If you if you're not me, uh, it's really weird because a lot of people are friends with both of us and they say, "Yeah, I like both of you." And I'm like, I don't understand how that works. <laughs> I genuinely don't get it. How is that possible? But you know, it's okay. apparently it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it could also be uh, because you've met at a certain time in your life. By the way, that's a possibility as well. Like if you've met. Nah. Him- <laughs> Nah, okay. the two of us are really, really, really different. I think, like I, th- if, I think I'm gonna stop trying. Fauzi, maybe we should just stop trying. All right. <laughs> when when you when you meet him, imagine me sitting in a room with him for ten years and then tell me whether that was gonna work out or not. <laughs> fair. That's fair. All right. I I think we've uh, run the whole gauntlet. Uh maybe this is <laughs> <laughs> maybe oh, not no. you know that we never even made it out of our game segment <laughs> yeah i watched it shang chi so... and i didn't even get to talk about I, it what if uh, like yes. all that okay so you know what we'll, we'll save those topics for next week um one of you has to watch shang chi so i have someone to to, to spar okay with okay i'll see if okay. i can i see if i can make it happen exactly <laughs> and catch up on on what if i mean there's virtually no i want to talk about destiny <laughs> it's good well it's a good thing this is a weekly podcast we'll have another chance right <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> all right so yeah that's it thank you very much for listening uh we really love you and uh send us emails because that's how i always <laughs> oh no he's, he's going oh, scripted, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tradition at this point <laughs> please please send us emails so someone will ask <laughs> Stop asking about emails. <laughs> you should really write him a script to close that. Right. So, <laughs> if he keeps it a script. On the intro, he says three Arabic game developers. I know it is. Arabic team. <laughs> like, what is Arabic team? I don't know. That speaks Arabic? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not good at improv, but it's funny. Every, I make up for it. Time. That's why we have a script. <laughs> hey, it, I, at least I'm consistent, right? I wouldn't call it consistent. It was... <laughs> It's there. It's there. It's consistently surprising. That's what's happening. <laughs> as long as you love me, that's all that matters. We do. <laughs> all right. Salam. 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 That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I'm Osama Dorias, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Osama Dorias. My fellow Habibis were Rami Ismail. You can find on Twitter at THA underscore Rami. And Fauzi Mesmar who you can find on Twitter at Fauzi Mesmar. Send us your questions, stories, suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. Intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubeda, and the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea, with new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening and salam alaikum.